Good morning. Welcome to Westside Foursquare Church. It is the 22th of November, the 22nd of November, and um, I'm excited to be with you this morning. And we have a few people in the room with me, family in the room with me. Um, we are on shutdown with COVID, but you know what? Jesus is bigger than COVID. Amen. Jesus is bigger than politics. Jesus is Lord. Yes. And so uh, before I pray, I just I feel like I need to give a word of encouragement to the people out there uh, in the internet that are listening to me or watching me, um, but also to the people in the room. And I want to say, don't let culture define who you are as a Christian. Do not let media, whether it's the news media or Hollywood, do not let politicians, do not let them define who you are as a follower of Jesus. And do not let them define what you are capable of doing as a follower of Jesus. We live in a culture that would really like the church to be very quiet and mind their own business. But you know what? Jesus said that we are salt and light. Jesus said that we are to uh, do warfare against imaginations and lofty opinions that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. Jesus said that we are to pray with an expectation that he will hear and act on our prayers. That we are supposed to pray in faith, and that that prayer will be very effectual in the world around us. And so I just want to uh, encourage the believers that are watching or listening to me, and those of us that are in this room, do not let culture define you or set limits on you. The only definition of your identity and my identity is what Jesus says about me and what Jesus says about you. And the only boundaries we have are the ones that Jesus puts on us. And you know what? He really doesn't put boundaries on us. As long as we're walking in discipleship with him and allowing the Holy Spirit to do his transforming work in us, we have a green light to move forward with what God tells us to do. And God is mighty. So, with that, this week we're going to continue our, uh, our series on uh, repentance and stewardship and responsibility. Today is number three, and so we're going to talk about responsibility today. Uh, but I will start with a little bit of a summary, going back to what I've talked about the previous two weeks. And then we'll move on and hear what God wants to tell us today. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God, everything in Scripture tells us that you're not done with us yet, that we are in a process. And God, would you open our hearts and minds today to, to receive from you how we engage in the process that you have opened up for us through the blood of Jesus and through his resurrection. And we ask God that you would continue that process of transforming us and conforming us into the likeness of you until the day of Christ Jesus. And we ask that in Jesus' name and by his authority, amen. Amen. So um, I've been teaching on uh, repentance and stewardship and responsibility because there is a 
there's an ideology, there's a worldview in our nation. And indeed, if you look at the governments of the world and the way the world is going, this worldview is actually, uh, it's not new and it's constantly trying to pervade the thought systems and expectations of the world. And this worldview is the same one from the garden that says, you know what, it's not really your fault. That the way you are, the way you behave, the way you think, the way you speak, you are merely a victim of circumstance. And it, this goes all the way back to the garden. We talked about this two weeks ago. How in the garden of Eden, Eve chose to eat the fruit. Adam chose to eat it with her. And when God confronted them, what did they do? They pointed the finger at someone else. The, uh, Eve said, it's the, it's the serpent. The serpent came and gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then God looked at Adam and Adam said, it's this woman that you gave me. So who was Adam really blaming? He was really blaming God. He was saying, God, you put me in relationship with this woman. In other words, you created this culture that I'm a part of. And so it's your fault that this happened. But you know what? Scripture is directly opposed to the concept that you don't have responsibility, that you don't have a choice about the things that you think and the things that you do. And so we have to stand against this thought system that is not only pervading our culture, but it's also pervading the church at large, not only here, but all around the world, this thought system that you're not at fault is trying to invade the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about our own choices. Um, specifically in America, there's this idea that culture is that uh, peoples are broken up into oppressor groups and oppressed groups. And both groups simply act based on the class that they're in. So that oppressor groups, because they're part of an oppressor group, they're going to be oppressive and they can't help it. And oppressed groups have to stand up and revolt against the oppression. And because it's not their fault, we don't really judge their behavior. Well, let me, let me tweak that a little bit. The oppressed groups don't get judged for their behavior. So they can burn and loot and steal and act in uh, ways that we would consider immoral because they're oppressed. But the oppressors are expected to change their behavior and stop being oppressors. But all of this goes back to that root idea that human beings are not responsible for their choices because it's merely a reflection of the culture that they're in. It's the same thing that Adam did. God, you gave me this woman, you created this culture I'm living in, and that's what's at fault for my poor choice. But you know, Scripture is completely against that. So what we're doing the past two weeks and today, we're looking at what Scripture has to say about God's expectations of us. Okay? And do we have, are we, uh, do we have freedom to make those choices? All right? The Bible tells us, and specifically Jesus tells us, that evil does not result from our cultural circumstances. Evil is not something that is put on me 
Jesus tells us that evil comes from the human heart. Um, we actually had this in our Bible reading today. We're reading, we read through the, um, the, uh, uh, the Life Journal Bible reading. And in, in today's Bible reading, part of it was Matthew 15. And we read through that. So turn with me, please. Turn or click. Flip or click, like I like to say. I really encourage people to open your Bible. Um, unfortunately for many Christians, Sunday is the only day they open their Bible. Uh, but at least do that. So when you're listening to a preacher or a teacher and they quote a scripture, open the Bible and read it with them and make sure that what they're saying is what the Bible says and that it's in context. So if you turn with me to Matthew 15, starting in verse 14, the religious leaders of Jesus' time uh, talked, they believed that evil was based on your actions, it was based on your external influences. And Jesus told his disciples, starting in verse 14, speaking about the religious leaders, he said, Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Cedar, uh, Cedar, Peter said, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, that means lying, and slander. Jesus teaches that sin and evil come from the human heart. It's not a result of how you behave or don't behave. It comes from inside the heart. And then what you speak and what you do are, are uh, consequences of what's already in you. That is why human beings need a Savior. We are lost. We are born lost. We are born enslaved to evil in our hearts. And we need Jesus. What Jesus did, he didn't just remove the punishment for our evil. He actually set us free to become different. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But it's because evil resides in the human heart. It's like uh, one of my one of the teachers I really like is uh, uh, Dallas Willard, and he says that a thief is not someone who steals. A thief is someone who will steal if they feel the circumstances are right. Okay, because thievery comes from the human heart. It's not based on what you do. You can be a thief and never steal a thing. Because it's in your heart. If you would be willing to steal if you thought you could get away with it, or if you would steal because you think that your cause is so right that you're willing to uh, steal someone else's rights or steal someone else's possessions, then you are a thief. Okay? Because evil comes from the human heart. And Jesus preached a gospel, a good news that his work on the cross would be a payment for our rebellion and sin, and that by his resurrection, we would be set free from slavery to that evil so that we could actually be different. Now, there are some who preach a gospel that Jesus just died for your sins. 
so that you can go to heaven someday. But that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that Jesus died for your sins. In other words, he took the punishment for your sin. But also by his resurrection and by the power of God, now we can walk with him and be different in our lives now. That's what Scripture teaches. So Jesus preached a gospel that included repentance. Okay? It included uh, an aspect of salvation that is up to you. Jesus said that we should repent. That means we change the way we think. We stop thinking that we are in charge of our lives and we change the way our think that we think and our hearts to match that He is Lord. He is in charge. We enter into relationship with Him, but it requires repentance. We are not lost and sinful because we're victims of our culture. We're lost and sinful because we were born that way, and we have to make a choice to turn from that way of thinking to a kingdom way of thinking, to walk away from our old life of slavery to sin and walk into relationship with Jesus. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit does a miraculous work in our hearts and literally raises our spirits from death. And then we walk into relationship with Jesus. We also talked about last week that we are stewards. When we walk into relationship with God, He gives us everything that is His, and we give Him everything that is ours. It's like a marriage. When you walk in, when you go and you stand before the preacher or the official, and you make that covenant of marriage with that other person, suddenly you're not your own person anymore. Suddenly you and everything that you have belongs to them, and then they and everything they have belongs to you. And so you become, you take on a stewardship to take care of them and take care of their stuff. And it's the same way when we enter into relationship with God, we enter into a stewardship relationship with Him, where He takes on responsibility to steward us and our stuff, and we take on a responsibility to steward him and his stuff. And the truth is that the relationship is supposed to be so intimate that our stuff becomes his stuff anyway. Which really, when you think about it, the God of the universe has a lot of really good stuff. Am I right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about possessions. I'm not talking about physical things. He has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, Gentleness. Gentleness and self-control. Thank you. That's his stuff. And he gives that to us. And what do we give to him? It's pretty paltry. It's pretty minuscule compared to what he gives to us. Who gets the better deal? We do. And yet, we can become selfish and we can resent having to give up our stuff to him. Isn't that crazy? But there's a stewardship that happens. Suddenly, all my stuff becomes his stuff. And the question is, am I a good steward of his stuff? So, for instance, my own mind. The Bible says that God gives us the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. That is available to us. Well, guess what? In this relationship, 
We give him our mind. Now, who still has control of my mind? I do. I do. Who has control of what goes into my mind? To a great extent, I do. But if my mind is his mind, am I being a good steward of his mind? Am I being a good steward of what goes into his mind? What kind of thoughts I allow in there? What kind of propaganda I expose myself to? What, what do I expose myself to that claims to be truth? Yes? That includes what thoughts you're thinking about yourself. It includes what thoughts you think about yourself. Remember at the beginning I talked about how we cannot let the world define us. We have to make our thoughts yield to the scriptures that we define ourselves based on what God says. Okay? So stewardship, according to the scriptures, is vital to our relationship with God. We have a part to play. We have a part to play in initiating that relationship by repentance. We have a part to play in um, how we steward the things that come with that relationship. And you'll notice that both of these truths mean that we are involved. We are involved. There are some people that say, well, God does everything. Really? That's not relationship. When I entered into marriage with joy, it didn't suddenly become one of us did everything, the other person just kind of enjoyed the benefits. What? Right? I was hopeful. When, I enter, when you enter into a marriage covenant with someone, or even into a friendship with someone, both individuals are responsible to nurture that relationship and to walk in such a way that it's a healthy environment for that relationship. Okay? Well, guess what? It's exactly the same thing with Jesus. It's exactly the same thing. When we enter into a relationship with the Godhead, He carries a responsibility for the relationship, and we carry some responsibility for the relationship. All right? So, we are not victims. We are not victims. Prior to entering into relationship with Jesus, we were slaves to our sin. But Jesus has set us free from that slavery, and now we have responsibility. We carry responsibility in our relationship with Christ. We carry responsibility as representatives of Christ. We carry responsibility. Look with me at um, Romans 6, starting in verse 16. Flip or click to Romans 6, verse 16. Now, Paul uses a word picture here to describe our responsibilities to God, but in it, he puts a caveat, and I'm going to address that when we get to it, okay? He uses the, a word picture of being a slave, all right? But he puts a caveat in there, and the analogy only goes so far, okay? And he puts a caveat in there, and we're going to address it in just a moment, okay? So verse 16 says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? 
But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Okay, so right there, guys, he throws in a caveat. He says, you were slaves to sin. He says, now you're obedient from the heart. In other words, he's making, he's, he's saying there's an exception here. He's going to continue talking about being slaves of righteousness, but he throws this in to say, look, my analogy only goes so far, okay? In, in being a slave, it's almost like he's putting quote marks around slave to righteousness. You were slaves to sin, but now you're obedient from the heart. In other words, you're not obedient because you have to be. You're not obedient because you're chained to righteousness. It's from the heart, okay? And then... Um, verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. Verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because, because of your natural limitations. So in other words, he's saying, again, it's like he's put it, what we would do today is now you are slaves to righteousness. Okay? What he's saying is it's, it's a word picture, but it's not a, a completely accurate word picture because we're not slaves. We become obedient from the heart. In other words, we're not slaves, we're sons. But he's using this word picture to contrast our former slavery to sin. Does that make sense? So I don't want you to get into an idea that we are slaves to God. We're not. We are, we are um, not only trusted servants, but we're friends. We're actually, behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called... The sons of God. So Paul is putting a limit on his picture here, but he's using the concept to, uh, to give you an opposite of what we were. Okay? So he says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Sanctification is a Bible word that means the process that we're walking through to become like Jesus. Okay? Mm -hmm. And there's a responsibility that comes along with this. Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You know, guys, as, as the church, we tend to get into this uh, habit of judging people in the world. We judge their behavior. We judge the way they think. We judge the way they act. You know what? If they're still slaves to sin, they're free in regard to righteousness. It's not our place to judge them. I, I got to a point in my life where I was tired of being shocked when sinful people act like sinful people. Right. They don't know yet. Their minds have not been set free yet. They haven't made that repentance, that change of mind. They haven't entered into relationship with Christ. That, that uh, resurrection work in their spirit hasn't been done yet. And so they're slaves to sin. And they're free in regard to righteousness. Verse 21, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become, quote, slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, 
But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, even though the, the analogy of being a slave to God and righteousness only goes so far, the point he's making is that we're no longer obedient to sin. Now we are obedient to righteousness. What is obedience? Is that something that just happens? Or is that a conscious choice? It's a conscious choice. It's a responsibility that we take on that we are going to be obedient to righteousness. We're going to be obedient to God. Okay? Now, we are obedient from the heart because we've been set free from the heart because we are in love with Jesus. We are obedient from the heart, but there still is an expectation of obedience. We are free to choose whom we will obey. And that freedom comes with a particular responsibility. There's a lot of debate right now about the current presidential election, things that are going on and all this. And I know some Christians believe that we shouldn't get involved in politics. Okay? But we live, God has placed us in a under a government that allegedly gives us responsibility as voters and responsibility to be active in the government. And with that responsibility, with that freedom and that liberty comes responsibility. We have, we have, a, uh, we have freedom of speech. Guess what? With that freedom of speech comes a level of responsibility. Is my speech responsible? Is my speech truthful? Okay? So even within the context of the nation we live, we have a kingdom responsibility to speak truth. We have a kingdom responsibility to do spiritual warfare against opinions, lofty opinions and imaginations that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. That freedom brings responsibility with it. When you're a slave, if you're a slave, do you have a lot of responsibility? No, you just do whatever you're told. And anything else that happens is outside of, it's, a, it's like we used to say in the military, it's above my pay grade, right? But as now that we've been freed from sin, we carry responsibility as sons of God, we carry responsibility toward righteousness. We carry responsibility to be light and salt in the earth. We carry responsibility. Now, if I have learned anything, well, let me start with this. All through Scripture is the expectation that we have a responsibility to mature. Just do, do a Google search. Scriptures about maturity. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures about maturity. God expects us to mature. Now, if I were to try and address every scripture passage that talks about maturity in God's kingdom, we would be here all day. 
or I would be I would start a series that would take a year to complete because there it's there's overwhelming scriptural emphasis on maturity. I'm just going to deal with one. And the reason I'm talking about maturity is because if I have learned anything in life, it is that the only way to mature a human being is to give them responsibility. That is the only way to mature a human being. We will sit and we will whine and complain about rich kids who have never been given responsibility and how immature they behave, right? Like sometimes you'll have uh, the, the children of celebrities or the children of the wealthy will end up in the news because they're not living their lives responsibly or in a healthy way because they were never given responsibility when they were young. But when you give responsibility to children, the weight of that responsibility grows them up. I can't tell you how many young men, single young men I have known, who were pretty irresponsible, and they get married, and because they're allowing the Holy Spirit to transform them into the likeness of Christ, put, carrying that responsibility for a wife, carrying a responsibility of a relationship with that person, and then carrying the responsibility of having children matures them and grows them up. So responsibility grows us in our maturity. And maturity is one of the goals that God has for us. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to talk about, I'm just going to speak from one scripture, okay? Uh, because like I said, there's dozens and dozens, but this is the one that God specifically gave me to talk about. In fact, it was in my sleep. I woke up in the morning and I knew this was the passage that I was supposed to go to in this message about responsibility. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Flip or click to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. It says, And he, meaning Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers... For what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is one of these great run-on sentences that Paul is famous for. So that... We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Boy, I'll tell you what, if this does not describe what the world is up to in our culture today, I don't know what does. That we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And there are Christians right now who are, because they lack maturity, are being tossed to and fro emotionally right now by human cunning and by these schemes of the, of the world, these deceitful schemes. Rather, verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love, uh, and again, it goes back to maturity. We are to what? 
Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body, what? Grow. Grow. So that it builds itself up in love. This whole passage is talking about the maturity of the church. The maturity of the believer. That is the expectation. Now, how do we achieve that maturity? We'll go back to verses uh, verses 11 and 12. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the work. I looked up the Greek for that word work. Guess what it means? Work. For the work of service. Literally, the labor of service. Now, we live in this culture where we think that the work of the ministry is done by the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Well, I'm in, what do you do? I'm in the ministry. I'm a pastor. I I work in the ministry. But that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, their job is to equip the saints. For the labor of service, for the work of the ministry. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail. Now listen, I'm a pastor. That's, that is a, a mantle that I wear, but it's not what I am. What I am is a saint. And I am responsible to do the work of the ministry as a saint, as a member of the body of Christ. Now, I have a particular mantle that I wear within God's body of a pastor. But as a pastor, it's not my job to do the work of the ministry. As a saint, it is my responsibility to do the work of the ministry. My responsibility as a pastor is to give you what you need to do the work of the ministry. And too often... Christians will abdicate their responsibility to do work to the pastor. Well, we pay you to do that. We expect you to do that. I've actually had people that I was pastoring, and their attitude was, well, I tithe to the church pastor so you can do that work, and I don't have to. That's not what the scripture says. I do the work of the ministry as a saint, not as a pastor. So in other words, I, put, I wear the mantle of pastor when I'm equipping people for the work of the ministry, but then during my day-to-day existence as a saint, I do the work of the ministry. Does that make sense? But notice that the expectation is that the saints will take on work We carry responsibility for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. We are responsible to carry on the work of Jesus in the earth. 
We are responsible. We carry responsibility to continue the work of Jesus in the earth. Now, I want to make a really quick clarification, okay? Many in church organizations beha uh, behave as though God turned Jesus' work over to us to take over. And now it's ours alone. Okay? Uh, in fact, we read about that. Matthew 7, verse 21. Starting in verse 21. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are people who thought that they were supposed to take on Jesus' work on their own. And they do all those things. But Jesus says he's going to tell them to depart See, it says, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So what is the will of the Father? Is it that we cast out demons? Apparently not. Because they say they cast out demons. Is it to prophesy? Apparently that's not the most fundamental will of the Father. Because they prophesied, and Jesus cast them out. Is it to do mighty works? Apparently not. That's apparently not the goal or the will of the Father. So what is the will of the Father? Well, he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Do you know what the will of the Father is for you and for me? That we know and allow Jesus to know us. That is the will of the Father. Now, will we prophesy? Absolutely. Scripture says, yes, we will prophesy. Will we cast out demons? Absolutely. We can find Scripture after Scripture that will reinforce that that is part of what we do. Will we do mighty works in His name? Yes, absolutely. We will do mighty works in His name. But those will be a fruit of knowing Him and Him knowing us. It will be a fruit of our relationship with him. So we are we carry the responsibility to carry on the work of Jesus in the earth, but it is in partnership with Jesus. Jesus said, "Take my yoke upon you." That doesn't mean that Jesus takes his yoke off and puts it on us. That's not what it means. What it means is Jesus is wearing the yoke across his shoulders. What is a yoke for? Connecting. It's for connecting two oxen to pull the plow. Say that. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, I'm already in the yoke. Come and get into the yoke with me. We have responsibility to do the work of the ministry, but you know what our primary responsibility is? To walk with Jesus in that work of the ministry, to partner with Jesus together doing the work of the ministry by the leading and powering of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That is our primary responsibility. And then guess what? When we're in yoke with Jesus, 
the work is easy. The work is easy because he carries most of the weight. And we just walk in harmony with Jesus in the yoke. The work of the ministry is supposed to be the fruit of our relationship with God. But we have to, we have responsibility in that. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Did Jesus say, I'm going to put my yoke upon you? No. He said it was a command. If you are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you. Come and join me in the labor. Come and join me. Walk with me. He said, take up your cross daily and follow me. There's responsibility. We carry responsibility to create in our own minds and hearts a fertile place for our relationship with Christ. Just like I carry responsibility to make my heart and my mind a fertile place of relationship with my wife, we carry responsibility to make a fertile place of relationship with Christ. We can go, I could go all through the scriptures about this. You remember the parable of the sower? It says the sower goes out and sows seed. Was that seed good seed or bad seed? Good seed. It's good seed. The sower sows good seed. But it lands on four different kinds of soil. Is the sower responsible for the soil? We're responsible for the soil. The sower, Jesus, sows the word into my heart. I have responsibility to make sure that my heart is a receptive and fertile place to receive the seed of his word. Again, we could go on and on, but the point I want you to get is that we carry responsibility for our relationship with God, and that responsibility grows us into maturity. Listen, one of my mentors... Kim Pittner says this. He says, we are responsible to provide the energy for our own development. We are responsible to provide the energy for our own development. We are called to follow Jesus. But who has to do the walking? I do. I'm called to follow Jesus. Jesus invites me into all of his life. Jesus invites me into all of his authority, but I have to stand up and walk after Christ. I carry the responsibility to provide the energy for my own development. Jesus died to set us free from the slavery of sin. Jesus rose from the dead to empower us to walk into the light. He sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us and empower us. To glorify Jesus to and through us. Jesus has provided, the scriptures say, everything we need for life and godliness. But I carry the responsibility to walk in that. I carry the responsibility to walk in everything that Jesus has provided. And if I don't... What am I saying about Jesus' sacrifice? If I'm not willing to walk in everything that Jesus provided for me, 
I cheapen what he did for me. Yeah. I don't want to be guilty of that. He deserves all of the honor and all of the glory. He deserves to see everything he purchased for me done in me. He deserves that. So our self-check for today, what does my Christian walk look like? What does your Christian walk look like? Is it actually a walk? Are you walking with Jesus? Or is it more like a Christian sit? Am I walking with Christ or am I just sitting expecting him to do everything? You know what? I can't tell you how many hundreds of Christians I have met who are sitting on their bums waiting for Jesus to do everything. They're not picking up their word and sowing the word into their heart and mind. They're not choosing to um, be careful about what they put into their brains. They're not choosing what voices they listen to. They're not, um, they're not engaging in the disciplines that are involved in, in maturing in Christ. The disciplines that are involved in making our hearts and our minds fertile soil for him and for that relationship. And so I want to ask you, are you walking with Jesus or are you sitting there expecting him to do all the work? That's not the way it works. Jesus said, follow me. He said, come get into my yoke with me. We carry responsibility. And that is on purpose because that carrying of responsibility is what grows us into maturity. So I just want to invite you. We're going to pray right now. I want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to show the areas of your life, the areas of your heart that you have not engaged into relationship with Jesus. You know, one of the complaints I hear from spouses is that the other person is not engaged in the relationship. They're not carrying some of the energy of, of making the relationship work. And so I'm going to pray and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to show us areas in our hearts and in our minds where we have not engaged that part of us in our relationship with Christ. It may be your time. Maybe you haven't devoted your time to making your relationship with Christ profitable and fruitful. Maybe it's your money. Maybe you're like, okay, Jesus, you can have my heart, but my bank account belongs to me. Maybe it's what you put into your brain. I know lots of, of Christians who will binge watch stuff on Netflix but never pick up the word. That is disengaging from your relationship with Jesus when you do that. So, Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning. We thank you that you have been given to us with your responsibility to conform us into the image of Jesus, would you shine a spotlight in our hearts and in our minds? Show us those areas of our lives that we have not engaged in relationship with Christ. Those areas in our hearts and minds that we have left out of that yoke. It becomes a burden to us. 
It's like we're in the yoke with Jesus, but we're dragging a net full of junk and weight because that part of us is not engaged in that walk with Jesus in that yoke. Holy Spirit, would you shine a light on those things? Would you show us how to engage every part of our lives in our pursuit of Christ so that we can work the work of the ministry, so that we can carry responsibility and good stewardship, so that we can repent from those ways of thinking and we can grow up into maturity in Christ. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that we're not in it by ourselves. You are engaged with us. And we choose to engage with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning, whether you joined us on a video or whether you're listening to us. Thank you so much. I hope you found this encouraging. Uh, feel free to hit like or subscribe on there. Uh, and there will be more content like this coming up in the future. Uh, but you know what? We love you and we are for you. We believe in you. We believe in Jesus in you. And uh, we pray that in these very trying times that you would um, hear Jesus and follow and let your existence be defined by him. Thanks.